you have to look for it as a clinician. It's one of those things that if it's not like we can rule it out, but it's not a mental issue. This is a brain disorder, you know, and in the world of psychiatry, it's probably the most manageable and treatable of all conditions. Because, you know, you can actually see like our brain structures are different. The way that it functions is different. Even if each person's experience of it is a little bit different. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, we are going to jump right in with episode 69, in which I interview Julia Edwards. Julia is a therapist and certified ADHD clinical services provider who was diagnosed with ADHD in college after immigrating to the U.S. from El Salvador. As a specialist who also has this diagnosis, she uniquely understands the innumerable ways that this neurodevelopmental condition can impact every area of a person's life, as well as those around them. Julia, or Jules, specializes in helping adults who are coping with trauma, shame, anxiety, and low self-esteem as a result of undiagnosed and untreated ADHD. She and I talk about her history as a competitive swimmer back in El Salvador, as well as how we tend to push ourselves to the point of exhaustion and burnout. She also talks about the emotional toll of COVID as a therapist and the complex trauma when you become injured and have ADHD. Now, Jules also co-manages the Women and ADHD online community and premium community with me. In the community, she offers weekly office hours for members who have questions about ADHD or want one-on-one expert advice. And she also hosts a monthly live Q&A in the premium community on various topics relevant to our ADHD experiences. We are so lucky to have her over there. And if you'd like to subscribe to the Women and ADHD Premium Community, simply head to womenandadhd.com or you can find the link in the show notes. This month's Q&A with Jules is coming up on January 30th, and it focuses on the love-hate relationship our ADHD brains have with New Year's resolutions and the concept of radical change. She's going to be talking about that and also what we can do instead. You can find out more about that and register for it at womenandadhd.com slash events and I will also put a link to that in the show notes. I also wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. You'll be hearing a bit more about Magic Mind later in the episode, so stay tuned. I'm always, you know, extra fascinated when I get to talk to therapists who, you know, have such a, you know, much more kind of um, nuanced outlook in terms of our of what this diagnosis even is because I feel like you know the more I the more I read about ADHD the less I know and the less I understand right yeah, <laughs> it just so becomes confusing. so much right it's just it's so it's so interesting and so complicated and there's just so much that we still don't know and and yeah so uh, but I want to find your I want to hear your kind of personal diagnosis story first so it my my diagnosis story is very interesting actually because it's almost like I have two stories okay um so one is I was actually 
basically diagnosed when I was like, after my first year of college. So I, I was born and raised in El Salvador in Central America. So I'm not originally from the United States. And I just came here to go to college in 2009. But my academic experience was not great. And when I was in like middle school, like I was, you know, just intrigued by a lot of things. And I knew that I want to study psychology. And I started seeing um, a psychologist, so like a therapist back home for a lot of different reasons. You know, I was interested in the field, but it was, there was a lot of stress in those transitions. Um, and we did personality stuff, IQ stuff, basic, but nobody ever talked to me about ADHD. Nobody said like, you know, would probably hear the fleeting words of maybe you're just not focusing, maybe you're just getting distracted. Um, and, but nothing came of it. When I moved to college, it's like I lost all of my structure, you know, and in the school years is very different. Like, yeah, I was not getting great grades because it was hard for me to study. Mm-hmm. I would spend so much time like organizing how I was going to study as opposed to actually retaining information and all those things. And, you know, after I graduated high school, hanging by a thread, of course, just kind of barely passing things. And, you know, I did a year and a half of college when I was in El Salvador. Still, it was an American college because my goal was to transfer here to the States. And I had great grades because I didn't have to deal with tests anymore. So it was almost a 4.0 GPA because I was writing papers and I was actually had the opportunity to do things more that was, you know, that were of interest to me. But the procrastination, oh my gosh, that was one of the biggest, I think, aspects. And now that I see it is it was to the point of being painful of waited the night before to pull all nighters then I'm sleep deprived because I needed to write this paper and it was just, sure, I got a good grade, but then it's, you suffered along the way and you can't relax knowing that you have that deadline, right? So it's, if I start early, it's like, that's, no, it wasn't going to happen. Right. That, I think that's such a frustrating thing about procrastination, especially in school, which was feeling like, could you even have done better had you started earlier? Like, I think the answer is often yeah. no, right? Like, I think yeah. it, it really yeah. is just sort of part of the whole process. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And like, you can't understand it. Like at that time, if I think of myself in those stages, like you just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And all you hear are all these negative comments. It's, you know, well, you just have so much potential, but I don't just don't think you're applying yourself enough. You know, I went through very tough experiences and when I was in school um, and getting close to high school because the school that I went to was actually very, it was very demanding. It was a private school. It was a German school. So, you know, we had, most of my classes were in German and separate. I had like English and, you know, just as separate classes, but math, physics, chemistry, all of those things were just terrible. I actually had to repeat eighth grade. I failed one of the classes and I had to repeat and that was awful. You know, it's like that shame starts to build up, you know, from very early on and feeling like, why is everybody doing well? And I am not, and it's not that I'm not trying. Right. You know, but from the outside looking in, it looks like I probably am not trying and hard enough. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe you should study more like this person, or maybe if you do this, or maybe if you do that. I'm like, none, none of it felt right to me. You know, so it was by some miracle, I call it. I just was barely passing, and I actually graduated from that school. But at the same time, one of the biggest pieces, too, since I was like six years old, is that I was a competitive swimmer. So I was also an athlete. I was a student athlete. And for, you know, many years since I was six years old, I learned how to swim. The next year, I was part of the national, one of the national clubs for swimming. I was competing. I was going out of the country for competitions. And I loved it. I absolutely love sports. Sports have been probably the common denominator in my life. And then I realized like, holy crap, that was helping my hyperactivity. Right. Yeah. That was helping me focus in school to a certain point, you know, before puberty probably. And, you know, nobody noticed some of those things. So I was not outwardly hyperactive. So I, I was one of those that you internalize everything, but you start noticing them like skin picking like those cuticles, I scabs, all those things. And when I got to the end of probably middle school, early high school, um, school got terrible. You know, I couldn't keep up with both the swimming. I was training. I was going to practice from four to six or five to seven in the evenings. And sometimes like three, three days a week, it was five in the morning to six. And that was six days a week. My only rest day was Sundays. And I love swimming and it was, you know, just the aerobic exercise, everything about it, the competition aspect. And in school, of course, my, my best grade was PE. (laughs) That was like my only good grade. It's like sports. You know, I played soccer. I played basketball when I was, you know, for a while in high school was like a big part of like the soccer team, all that stuff. And when I got to, I think it was 11th grade, the things got so tough um, my parents actually got a letter from the school saying that I probably was not, you know, performing well enough in school that maybe they should consider taking me out of it. And that was a little rough, you know, like now, as an adult now, I think about it like that sucks. Like they're basically were telling me that I was not good enough for their school yeah, because of my grades. So it was that, that choice of I can be an athlete and I can be a good student in this school why is everyone else, you know, achieving that? Or most people were on my team, for example. And I felt like I couldn't. And that was like heartbreaking. You know, it's like one of those things that you grieve. So obviously my parents were encouraging and it's like, well, obviously you're not going to quit school to swim. Maybe that's what I wanted to do. But I dropped, I dropped swimming and I was actually able to graduate high school, it was one of those things where I felt a little challenged. And it's like, you're telling me that I can't do it. Like, okay, well, watch me. I'll do right? it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I graduated and everything, but those years in college, like losing that structure because nobody was expecting things from me, grades, you know, professors, the first years, like they don't care if you show up because they're just going to grade your exam and nothing. So it was my GPA dropped significantly the first semester, you know, it was a big university. Um, I had a scholarship actually, because I had good grades during the first year and a half that I did. And I lost a scholarship 
you know, my GPA was like below a two the first semester because it was so much being an international student in the States. I had very specific requirements to follow. So I had to be full time. I couldn't work outside of campus. So if I needed to make some money, like I had to work on campus, certain amount of hours. So every aspect of it, the social aspect was a big deal too. Um, so after the first semester, I went back to visit my family every winter break and I saw my old therapist and she was like, well, you know, here's a referral so you can go see a psychiatrist. And my mom took me and I went to the psychiatrist's office because like, you know, not getting good grades. You're probably distracted. You're doing this. And I left his office with a prescription for Ritalin. So I filled out the questionnaire, like six questions, but he never said anything about ADHD. He's just like, well, you know, here's a prescription for Ritalin basically. And this is just going to help you focus and get good grades. Wow. Okay. And so I'm like, okay. And my mom was there. Like we, nobody said like, Hey, you know, this is how your brain works. You have ADHD. This is what it means. You know, you're having trouble focusing because of this or that. So of course me not knowing at that time, he was like, here's a pill that's going to help you focus and study better and get good grades. I still procrastinated. So I would just take it when I had to pull an all-nighter to study. Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't take it consistently because nobody said that that would also help me with my mood and the social aspect of things and emotions, which were so, you know, we feel it so intensely. Didn't understand that part either. I took it for six months on and off, no consistency until I just didn't anymore. So graduated college, came to Iowa to do my master's degree in mental health counseling, which was a good experience. I was doing what I wanted, basically. Um, and even though the procrastination was still there, it's like that. I noticed it's like always rushing. I'm always doing things fast. I'm so impatient with myself, but not with other people chronic lateness to things and the time blindness and time management, those were awful to me because it's like, Oh, I have time. Or it's like, there's never enough time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just kind of like those little things, which were very external behaviors were the things that just, you know, made me curious and doing my master's, I had the textbook knowledge of ADHD. So it's like, Oh, I'll be damned. Look at that. I think I have ADHD. You know, I'm, I'm very distracted by things and like I really can focus on the procrastination, but then I left it at that and never dug into the emotional dysregulation aspect. I never heard about rejection sensitive dysphoria or anything like that because it's not on the DSM. Right. You know, and as clinicians, like, well, we look at the DSM, we look at this other things and, you know, it's just... It was very interesting. And when I graduated, you know, I had a job that was incredibly stressful, which it was still in my field and I loved it. I was a substance abuse counselor um, for several years. And I also worked as a therapist in that agency. And I loved the time with my clients and I loved my coworkers. I loved everything. That, but that job had copious amounts of paperwork. And that was basically my downfall. I absolutely hated the paperwork and the documentation and having to call attorneys, DHS workers, 
probation officers, insurance to do some of the, you know, treatment reviews, all of those things. So every, all of those external sources, it was almost like invading my one-on-one with the clients because that's how it was. And because of my immigration status, like I couldn't switch jobs. So I felt very trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not mm-hmm. easy for me. They were sponsoring me. And I went to see a psychiatrist. It was, must have been like four years ago. And because I was depressed, I was feeling anxious. You know, I was not exercising as much as I used to, but it was still part of it. But what I was experiencing too is I would just stare at the work that I had to do, the piles of paperwork, and I would just do nothing about it. That paralysis of, I know I have to do this. Like, oh my God, why am I not moving? Like, why are my hands not on my keyboard typing all of these things? And that would just push me over the edge of thinking that I was just not trying enough, you know, even having a little bit of knowledge. And I was prescribed with fluoxetine and, you know, something to help me sleep, then respond well to those medications because... After a few months, I realized, I, to, I told my psychiatrist, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I have ADHD and I think I'm feeling very depressed and anxious because, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling accomplished because I'm procrastinating. I can't focus on things. So I feel like this is the result of that, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So he told me like, yeah, absolutely. You know, send your referral. Um, we're going to refer you for testing. And at that time, that was three years ago or four. I couldn't do it because it was very expensive. I wasn't a, you know, different plan. So I left it and I also had a therapist and I told my therapist, you know, about it, like, well, you know, we can't change anything right now. So let's focus on, you know, tolerating the discomfort of the job, but things escalated. I found an opportunity um, of one of my friends. She had moved to private practice where I'm at right now. And, you know, the owner of the practice and his wife, like they're incredibly nice. And he was actually in my shoes for many years with the international student. He's Peruvian and he's wonderful. And, you know, he told me like, yes, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to figure it out. So they were actually able to sponsor me and I transitioned to private practice. And that was absolutely life-changing to me just to work in this setting that, oh my gosh, I can focus on my client and the paperwork was probably like 10 or 20 percent and the rest is just helping people which is what I always wanted and the different kinds of clients I mean my clients are high functioning they're motivated to be in therapy you know and when I started seeing more I noticed I had a lot of clients that just came to me and they had ADHD so helping with experience some of them thought that they may had or I started noticing some patterns and one day with one of them, like we took like the iceberg out and I've never like really dissected the ADHD iceberg. And I started seeing all those words that were different and thought like, oh my goodness, this is my life. Like this is my entire life right here. Choice paralysis, you know, like the difficulty managing finances, losing my stuff all the time. Cause that was another thing. <laughs> Just constantly lose my stuff. <laughs> couldn't find it, can't leave the house because like, oh, my phone, oh, this, my keys, my poor husband. I know he's just so patient with me. <laughs> just, just stand there and waits. This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. 
When it comes to maintaining focus and energy throughout the day, I tend to rely heavily on caffeine. But that can backfire when I get over-caffeinated and end up with that jittery, agitated feeling that interferes with my ability to focus and be productive. This is where Magic Mind comes in. Unlike regular energy drinks, Magic Mind contains minimal caffeine, but is loaded up with all natural ingredients like the adaptogens ashwagandha and turmeric, nootropics and matcha, all of which help you keep that focus and motivation throughout the day. As a special offer for listeners of the Women in ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and make sure to enter the code womenadhd20 at checkout. Again, head to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and you'll find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. But um, when things start to become very relatable to the stories I was hearing... And I'm like, okay, this is, this is hitting a different nerve. But, you know, I kept going. I was in the private practice setting for two months in my lovely office, and then the pandemic hit. So two, office, two months in my office, and then I had to go home pretty much full-time. Mm-hmm. And that time was really tough because, you know, it's, you have your own fears and anxieties about what's happening in the world. And now I was also carrying my clients' fears and anxieties along with mine. So I didn't have very much space, you know, to actually allow myself to just like, how am I really feeling? I'm probably scared. Like, how am I going to help people if we're all feeling the same? And it started impacting my health a lot too. Um, I have a thyroid disorder, so I experienced a lot of physical symptoms with it. It's been managed for years. But that year, I think it was a combination of the anxiety, like the stress of it, the change that I just started seeing these repercussions on my health. And I started gaining weight and my nutrition and my exercise are some things that I, you know, I do to heart. I love that. I take care of myself very well in that aspect. And I was exercising, you know, at least four or five times a week. And then I kept gaining weight. Like, what is happening? So I talked to my endocrinologist and she, after, you know, she's like, oh, you're probably, you know, snacking too much or you're probably doing this. Like, no, I think I know what I'm doing. You know, I was like doing intermittent fasting. I tried doing a lot of things because I couldn't understand why I was gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, well, you know, let's recheck everything. You, they had to adjust my medications, but she prescribed Phentermine to help me lose some of the weight, but I was like, well, I don't feel like I have a problem with like appetite, like that I want to eat all the time, but she prescribed it to me and Phentermine is a stimulant. Mm -hmm. And I noticed like how much better I felt. And it was not just about the weight, but like my mood improved and I wasn't feeling like, you know, when I was bored, I didn't realize I was bored on, but it was that it's painful. Maybe just shut down. Mm-hmm. when I didn't want to do something and I would just fall asleep. I felt so fatigued. And then the friend for me just kind of switched all of that. And I was like really surprised. I'm like, okay, well, I feel better. And I was exercising more. I was able to drop the weight and, you know, mid year, I felt pretty good. I was running at least three, four times a week because running is one of my favorite things to do. And it made me feel really good. And then I went off the fentermine because we, you can only take it for a little while. Um, it's not very good to take it long-term. 
And I noticed a little bit of shift in my mood, but because I had gotten that booster run and, you know, that helped my mood in the morning, I felt so energized. So um, by the end of the year, I was training for a half marathon where my husband and I were actually planning our little wedding too, because we got engaged at that time, you know, mid pandemic, perfect timing, (laughs) (laughs) but we were planning our wedding for November. So, you know, I had that motivation. So it was excellent. It's like, oh, I guess I want to look good in pictures and, you know, running every day, got the half marathon. So it was something was challenging. Everything was just kind of like felt right. And, you know, I didn't feel the need to pursue anything else until I got injured. Mm-hmm. I ran my half marathon and, I, you know, it was great. The week after that, I got injured and it was... Um, on my hip it was like a stress fracture on my hip that I didn't realize it was that until you know a couple months ago but then that that type of injury was just I could not walk without limping so then I quickly realized like I can't run I can't run and I can't exercise the way that I usually do and from that moment on it was like I saw the decline the spiral yeah oh my god it was rough that was really rough. I mean, it was rough on my husband because my, I was moody. Like I couldn't, I was overwhelmed with work, you know, because throughout this year, you know, in our field, like therapists, we were, we've been in such high demand, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it got slow for a while. You get worried, but now it's like, oh my gosh. And I didn't have that outlet. And that was the one thing that I did for myself. Like nothing else. Like, yeah, I go to therapy, you know, but I couldn't even walk my dog. Yeah. So I just like, I don't know. And around May, I talked to my psychiatrist again. I was like, I I need to go do that testing. Like this is happening right now. Like I'm incredibly, you know, depressed, like irritable. I'm anxious. I can focus. I, you know, like that stubbornness. Like I don't want to do some of these things. And I felt very dysregulated. And you know, I saw how much it could impact our relationship too in our home. Like we don't have kids. It's just the two of us. And I just, you know, it's just not fair. You know, we were having, you know, such a good time, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll send a referral again. No worries. And I was in a better place now, different insurance, all that stuff to go and actually get that done. And I went in May and that's when I started my medication. It was like the beginning of June. Um, got through the testing, you know, I was diagnosed with combined type ADHD and, you know, it's those four hour testings that were just like excruciatingly painful, <laughs> but, you know, it's, we were about, we had a vacation coming up too, which was, you know, like I can't even walk and we are very outdoorsy people, my husband and I, and we love hiking. We love all these things and all I could do, I'm not going to be able to do those things. This is going to be horrible. And you know, I was in physical therapy for a while. Nobody could tell what was wrong. I waited two months for a freaking MRI and until I was able to get it. And I think it was, what was it, like a beginning of August, I was able to get my MRI and I saw a sports medicine doctor because my goal is like, I want, I want to run. So it's like, you know, you have a femoral, uh, a stress fracture on the femoral neck on your hip um, and you're happy to be on crutches. And I left with crutches for like five weeks. He said, you're going to be on crutches. I was already taking medication at that time. And then the crutches were put in place. That was 
awful. It's like you're telling like a hyperactive person and I do all this stuff so quick. You know, it's like, oh, while well, my water bottle is filling up, I'm going to do this and do that. And like, I'm, I'm always walking fast and doing all these things. And then I get put on crutches and I can even hold my cup of coffee, you know, go into the kitchen and coming back. I was already coming to the office to do some sessions. So I had to deal with the, you know, parking and planning for the time. And that was not very great for me. It's, I was planning for time, but not for time with me on crutches. So again, it was like another bump. And, you know, we switch medications. I'm on violence now. And that just, it changed everything. And it was, you know, it, it did help me. But that time was actually very stressful. This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. Magic Mind was created by James Bashara, a Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur who ended up in the ER with a heart condition brought on by the combination of stress and caffeine. He started researching natural alternatives, teamed up with scientists and medical professionals, and he created the Magic Mind drink and wrote the book Beyond Coffee. I personally really like the taste, and it's a nice little shot of energy to keep me focused throughout the day without any of that jittery, agitated feeling I get from too much coffee. Beyond just energy and focus, it has ingredients to help you stress less, reduce brain fog, and stay on task. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and make sure to enter the code womenadhd20 at checkout. Again, that's magicmind.co slash womenadhd, and you can find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. The emotional dysregulation element is, I think, something that most of us come to our understanding of ADHD through the emotional dysregulation mm -hmm. issue. Either it's the rumination, the rejection-sensitive yeah. dysphoria. I mean, those are the things that really like hit us on a deep-seated level where oh, we yeah. really start to like look into what exactly is happening and what has been happening over the course of my mm -hmm. life. Right. And so it's interesting, you know, we, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, like how the, you know, sharing our lived experiences is how we really are coming to understand mm -hmm. what this looks like because the DSM offers so little, <laughs> right. In, yeah. Right. In terms of understanding. And I'm like, why mm -hmm. is there no emotional element in the DSM? Yeah. You know, what is your theory? Like, because I feel like a lot of the emotional elements of ADHD come from, um, are, are sort of like side effects of mm -hmm. either a life undiagnosed or, you know, or just not understanding the source of a lot of the executive dysfunction and the emotional dysregulation, yeah. like so much of that 
it comes from just really not understanding it. So it's almost like a chicken egg thing with mm-hmm. this, with the DSM, right? It's like, I understand yeah. why they don't add in a lot of the emotional stuff because it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily the same with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously some of us experience certain traits more or less based on our environments, yeah. but like, why, why don't they put the emotional stuff in there? Cause it's such mm-hmm. a huge part of it. Probably the biggest, you know? Yeah. Probably the like, biggest. They just, are they just like, I don't want to touch that. It's such a, it's such yeah. like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's so, cause it's so hard to like really pull apart and parse, you know, all of that stuff. Right. But I feel like the, the anger, the rage, you, you described it so well. I mean, I also used to run and injured my hip and now I don't run anymore oh, because yeah. I keep trying to, I keep like my hip gets better and then I try and then it injures again. And so like I'm 46, mm-hmm. I've given up. I just walk as fast as I comfortably can. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, you know, what, like brisk walking every morning is such a huge part of mm-hmm. my day. And I feel like I credit it with so much of my emotional health yeah. and they're so, you know, they're so intertwined. So when you talk about mm-hmm. how like your life spirals and your mood yeah. spirals, when you are injured, like I really related to yeah. that. And it made me think of like all the elite athletes with ADHD who then get injured yeah. or have to retire and like how, mm-hmm. you know, depression sets in. And, yeah. Um, and another interesting thing you brought up, which I hadn't really thought much about or uh, was just the degree to which mental health um, practitioners and therapists during the pandemic have like really had to carry so much mm-hmm. of everybody's depression and anxiety th- from this pandemic, right? right? It's not yeah. just your own, but like you said, like that was, mm-hmm. that was really poignant where you were like, not only was I dealing with this pandemic, but then I also right. had to kind of hold everything that mm-hmm. we, and it just brought me back to that or the, you know, the early months of just scrolling, you know, the term doom scrolling, yes. right. Oh of just God. being like yeah. spending so much time, just like hunched and tight and, you know, feeling so the chaos of it all and feeling like right. everything in our life had just kind of been thrown up in the air and all the pieces mm-hmm. were falling where they were falling yeah. where they may. Um, yeah. but you know, I, it's been interesting for me to think about how like the H in ADHD, the hyperactive element relates mm-hmm. to that spiral, right? That, right. that going from like zero to a hundred emotionally. Mm-hmm. For me, I kind of interpret that as the hyperactive element for a lot of us yeah. who, who never really thought about the physical hyperactivity, mm-hmm. you know, or never really related to it. I feel like there is a lot of connection there between yeah. how we go from you know, seemingly okay and level to mm-hmm. just like, oh my God, I see my whole life in front of me and it's, right. it's a shit show. <laughs> and <Yeah>. like, <laughs> right. And you, you know, and then it's like, then you're just sort of in that uncontrollable rage and everyone around you is like, what just happened? You know, like yeah. you could, you could switch like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate how you just, you know, yeah. describe that in terms of the injury. Cause I relate to that so much. And yeah. And I've never experienced an injury like that, like this one before, you know, like as an athlete, of course I've gotten injured and it's overused injuries, but it just never kept me from doing the thing, but it just took a break from it. But I mean, there were other things in place at that time as well, but this, this was definitely, you know, that part. And 
you also go through this like waves as almost like an existential or identity crisis, which, you know, is like a good point that I had in mind to bring up when you mentioned, you know, how elite athletes are impacted by that as well. And then I realized that it was not only that, you know, like sports and exercise for me have, like I mentioned, have been my constant and have absolutely helped me, you know, kept me leveled and just in every aspect of my life. There were two things to that because I always felt so sensitive, like so sensitive and almost fragile on the inside. Sports made me feel tough, you know, so it's like, oh. I'm going to look tough on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to fit and tough. And, you know, because that kind of covers how vulnerable and like how sensitive I really feel on the inside. But it's, you know, the exercise helps the ADHD brain immensely. But then I also noticed how much my ADHD impacted my sports performance as an athlete for so many reasons. Um, and the rejection sensitive dysphoria was a big one you know, I was a swimmer, like I was not a swimmer to the Olympic level, but you know, as in a national team, I actually was teammates with someone who actually made it to the Olympics at some point. And we used to swim together and, but it's the pressure, you know, that you feel as an athlete and that sometimes things are just not good enough. I remember having a really tough coach and that coach was, a lot of people were scared of him. And, you know, my dad liked them. And it was like, at some point I, I told myself that I did too, but as an adult, like now looking back and dissecting every aspect of my life, like, no. And I remember how many times I actually cried um, just with being in that environment, like with the athlete, the pressure, you know, we had to go to competition sometimes and we had to stay all together in one place. And I was just always like fearful of something and I didn't understand what it was. And all I heard was like, well, just what we got to do. Like the coach was like very tough. And I remember I would cry and I just didn't understand like what I needed. But then those experiences of like, well, you didn't meet your time. So even, you know, I told my husband this experience of, you know, my favorite style was butterfly. Like what, like that was what I was best at. And I won like first place medal in like a hundred meters, like a one competition. And I came like a smile to my coach and he just completely dismissed it. And like, was kind of like, well, why are you smiling? Like your, your time didn't improve. And that was just like a squashed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so it was just like not good enough. And at the time it was just, you probably just brush it off. Like, okay. But then I was like, okay, you got to do more. You got to train more. What's the next thing? You don't, they don't allow the time to actually appreciate the success. But most of all, they give you that pandemic back, like great job. You know, you got this, you got that, which is great. But you rarely get how hard you're training. You know, that validation of how much effort you're putting in. Mm-hmm. Right, like, hey, I do see that you've been training really hard. I do see that you've been practicing. You know, what else do you think is going on? It was always the statement of like, well, you know, maybe we got to do more. We got to switch this or we got to switch that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. The more I understand about the ADHD brain and kind of how mm-hmm. we, how, you know, in, in terms of our our, our dopamine um, hits, 
like, it makes sense to me why we're always upping the ante, right? Like I think about mm-hmm. like, I got injured. I continually re-injure myself because I can't help but up the ante. I can't help mm-hmm. but always push myself. And, right. and then I would push myself to the point that where I would get injured, where I'd be like, oh, I mm-hmm. did, you know, oh, I ran 5k today at this time. If I do the exact same time tomorrow, I'm a failure. Like there's nothing, right. you know, it's like, you always have to do better. You always have to push yourself. And I think about like, even with the podcast, like I, I reach mm-hmm. these little mo- milestones with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And if I don't always get better, then mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of failure in my head, right. right? Like it's very, it's really difficult for us to kind of linger in um, accomplishments because yes. lingering in, in accomplishments is boring. You know, it's yeah. the, what's the next thing? What's the next yeah. thing? How can I push myself? And I think it's, you know, I've, I feel like I've, I think about this a lot in terms of like our self-esteem, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course, you're going to have terrible self-esteem if you can't appreciate what, yeah. you know, if you can't appreciate what you've done, everything is in the past. Everything is like, oh, I did that. I, you know, what, what mm-hmm. else can I conquer? And while right. it pushes us and we, you know, we're always finding new things. And I think it makes it's one of our gifts is to mm-hmm. always be pushing ourselves. I think there mm-hmm. is that, that the other side of the coin, which is yeah. no wonder we're so unhappy all the time because we always mm-hmm. kind of focus on that one bad review or the one yeah. thing we did that, you know, yeah. And it's like the all wonder, or nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so, I think it's also intertwined in terms of this like importance of self-reliance and mm-hmm. feeling like, like you said early on, right. Like I wasn't doing well and it was not for lack of trying. Right. right? And so it was always figuring like, I have to figure this out. I, I have to figure out why everybody mm-hmm. else is able to do this and I can't. And right. so there's this, we, you know, I think we grow up with this enormous emphasis on self-reliance and, yeah. and so why, you know, having to need help when you're injured is difficult or, you know, asking right. for help with anything is really difficult oh, yeah. for us, yeah. but it's like, I, it's so interconnected in terms of like how, all of these seemingly random issues that you kind of face in your life, like all come back to this one type of brain. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like, you know, the idea of like being injured and pushing yourself as an athlete totally Mm -hmm. makes sense to me through the ADHD lens. Right. Because yeah. Right. And and we also do that in our careers. Like it's not good enough to be, second best, either you have to be first or you're a failure. And, and I think, like you said, that that can also get ingrained in you in the culture Mm -hmm. of competitive sports too, right? Like, I don't think it's coming out of nowhere, but I think we're, we're especially susceptible to that Mm -hmm. idea that like, if I am not always improving, then I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, the competitiveness, all that stuff or the crippling fear of failure too. It, it gets exacerbated when you do the competitive sports or, you know, anything competitive, whether it's academic or anything else. And, you know, for me, obviously academic was not my strong suit. So it was like the sports and, you know, all of the combinations, like if you don't do this, like all or nothing, if I don't get the best time, like that, I fail. Yeah. Even so, okay. First place medal, big deal. And that you start to hear those messages. Like it doesn't matter if this doesn't happen But, you know, in addition to that, being like an athlete and also being a female and a female swimmer, I know it's hard, like once you start hitting puberty, like you have to deal with your monthly cycle, you have to deal with hormones. So when you're very little, 
you know, I've heard like horrible stories of like, well, you know, like, oh, my daughter can swim because she's not feeling well. You know, she's having some cramps and the review like, so? Yeah, right. You know, you have to do it. And then the other aspect is the incredible strict diets because, you know, you mm-hmm. have to do some of these things. And I remember, and I was little, like eight, between eight to 10 years old, things like that. I remember having, getting these diets two weeks prior to a big competition. So zero carbs, zero sugars, zero nothing, because we had to drop weight before the competition because we were going to carb up then. So we didn't want to be putting the extra weight. So that starts to mess with your body image too, mm-hmm. which is already like the body dysmorphia is already apart, but it's, oh my God, I have to deal with this. And ADHD brain, strict diets, you're telling me what not to eat and what to eat. Like that was you know, of course it was not going to work very well. Well, and not only that, but the perfectionism element too, right? Which is like, I have Mm -hmm. to do everything 110%. And when you bring nutrition into that, it, yeah, it messes with you. Oh yes. It messes with you. I remember eating awful food, you know, it was awful. And, you know, my parents were always encouraging my dad, especially when it came to swimming. I was like, well, this is how it has to be and whatnot. And, you know, not only that, but I remember during practice during those times, they wouldn't even allow us to drink water because you had to dehydrate yourself. You know, it was, I've heard it from wrestlers. I've heard it from like, you know, I'm cutting weight. I have to meet weight. You know, you have to dehydrate yourself. So they would tell us like, nope, no water. Don't do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like terrible. And I remember yeah. having some practices that, you know, I was, I was so thirsty, you know, I felt so dehydrated and like, like even taking a swig of the pool water seemed attractive at that time. <laughs> and it was, you know, what you're supposed to do. Well, this is how it is. Right? Yeah. I have to like run before practice, do all those things. But there were like several different things that, you know, the criticism, that's why the RSD, there's one memory I have that I'll never forget. And it's, I think, I don't remember if I actually got late to practice one Saturday morning and, you know, my dad had to drive. I don't know if, we fell behind, but it was six in the morning. Like everybody finished practice and then everybody left the pool and the coach left me in the pool. And he told me to do 10 more laps. And that, that's like 10 more laps in an Olympic swimming pool. That's an extra thousand meters, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and I didn't know why I was being punished because like, like I wasn't sure what was going on. And to this day, I don't know what happened. But I kept coming back. It's like, no, keep going. And I was like, do another one. And I would come back and I would just go like this. Like, why? And it was just, he would go like this. Like, no, go again. And I'm like, oh my God, like what? What is happening? And I remember crying as I was swimming. You know, I was crying. Like my goggles were filling up with tears. And and my dad was just, you know, sitting out there waiting for me until he let me out. And I honestly don't remember you know, what he said, but I was like, why am I being punished right now? Yeah. You know, so then the RSD with people pleasing, then you make sure that you want to be perfect to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Right? You want to make sure that you do all the things that you meet the time. So everything started to become not because, you know, I wanted to be a good swimmer, but it was because it was pleasing my coach. You know, it's like you want to perform at your best because you want to get that praise or otherwise, because if you don't get that, then you get criticism. Right. And that, and it hurts your self-esteem. 
right? And aside from that, those two aspects like can really impact. You know, you think that may that that may not be the sport for you, but it ended up being like it's just the environment. Mm-hmm. But I forgot how much I love swimming because of the emotions and everything that I was going through because of the other aspects of it were, you know, I was always scared and anxious before a competition, like, oh my gosh, you know, what if I miss, what if I miss my hit? What if I miss this? You know, and then, you know, what are going to be the consequences? Another aspect I didn't think about was the sensory stuff. I know, right? That has just been mind-blowing to me. I had no, I I would never have said I had sensory issues until I was Mm -hmm. diagnosed and really started looking into yeah, that that connection, and I was like, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have yeah. so many. Where do I even begin? <laughs> yep, the sensory stuff. And as an athlete, you deal with that. You know, if you're yeah. in a competition, like I vividly remember, you know, when they tell you to go, you get ready on your lane. You know, you're just kind of stretching. But then, what I remember is like the noise of the crowds you know, crowds, like parents yelling, all of that stuff, like coaches on this side, athletes on that side. And, and then as I'm walking, I'm like having all these thoughts, like, oh my gosh, what if I slip when I'm in the, you know, in that starting block? Like, what if I slip? What if I just go before like the gunshot or the little beep, you know, rings and all that stuff. But then I remember that the thing that calmed me down was like looking at the water. And I was walking and so I was tuning out those sensory stuff. But at the same time, like you feel nervous and sometimes that gets in the way as you're swimming and you may not perform at your best if something is past the level of tolerance that you can't cope with. But I remember as a little kid thinking like, oh, the pool looks like jello. You know, it's very still, the water looks still and like, and I would just stare at it. Blue is my favorite color. So it was just calming in a way, but I didn't realize how much of the sensory stuff can impact that well, you know? Interesting. And I cannot even imagine Olympic athletes dealing with all the crowds and yeah. also criticism. You know? Well, and not only that, but I think also like the difficulty with rest, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have, I think that also comes back to that idea of like, believing that you could always be trying harder, right? Because we also kind of really don't understand. I think the concept of trying and outcome are very skewed for us, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're not, it's not a simple relationship. Sometimes things come super easy to us and sometimes things come incredibly difficult to us. So we've never really Mm -hmm. had a very like reliable a concept of, of trying. Right. And so I think right. it really, that affects how we uh, rest or how we, or how we mm-hmm. can't rest. Right. Because yeah. there's always that sense of, I could be doing more. I could be using this time more productively. I could be doing this. And yeah. why so many of us, I think, feel like we default into like, I'm lazy if I'm resting yeah. and yeah. Uh, what is wrong with me, you know, not being productive. Yeah. You right. Know, it's yeah. Um, I never noticed to this, to this day, it's like the realization of, holy shit. Like I have never been able to relax. In my oh life. yeah. Same. And it's like, because even if you're sitting, like my husband and I can be watching a movie or something like I either I'm like rocking in my chair, like, or I have my phone, but even if I'm by myself, the guilt starts creeping in because ADHD comes with a very lovely side of guilt and shame, obviously, especially if you get diagnosed as an adult, but it's like, I could be doing something more. I could clean. And then it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I should clean the dishes. I should clean this do that. 
And it's like choice paralysis. And then you don't do anything. <laughs> and then you right. feel lazy. Right. So. I know. I, I know. When I was first diagnosed, I would talk about like how I'm so much kinder to myself when it comes to rest, mm-hmm. because now I think of it as like I'm recharging because I was hyper focusing, but I'm not kinder to myself. Like now I'm just like, I realize that I'm recharging, but I also still I'm impatient. Right. So I'm like, right. okay, you should, you should be done by now. You should be back to doing something, you know, like I, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I'm necessarily kinder to myself in the, in a lot of those it's regards, right? uh, <laughs> even though I know what's happening. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, there is still that sense of like, I, I should be able to, you know, uh, I should be able, if, if most people need eight hours sleep, I should be able to get by on six. What's wrong mm-hmm. with me if I'm not better than everybody else in, in right. random elements of life. Right. Yep, exactly. And it's, you know, the sleep problems were a huge thing. So even when you think about your life from this lens, like it's everything, everything, you know, every <laughs> single thing and experience that I can ever imagine, like ADHD is just like, oh my gosh, that's what it was. Well, this you is know, why from, I get so frustrated when there's yeah. that response, like, you know, maybe, you know, be careful. You might feel mm-hmm. like ADHD is the answer to everything, but you should really mm-hmm. like, you know, get officially diagnosed because it could be something else. And that's what always mm-hmm. trips me up. Cause I'm like, yeah. what else could it be? Like, I just feel like it's so, everything is wrapped up in this. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. when you're, you know, I'm like, what exactly do you mean? It could be something else. Like, what is the difference between somebody who has ADHD and feels in their bones like this is mm-hmm. it, right? This is describing and 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 yeah. putting this, you know, new new lens on so many aspects of my life, and then and then hearing like, well, maybe it's just anxiety, or maybe it's just trauma related, you know? Oh, yeah. And I feel like for those of us who have ADHD, that that doubt that's always there is is mm-hmm. making it makes the diagnosis journey that much more difficult. And, and right. yeah. that's what I find. That's when I say like, when I say things like the more I learn, the less I know it's, you know, it's that same yeah. sense of like, what exactly is happening, yeah. you know, with, with ADHD and like mate, cause I'm always thinking, well, maybe it's not, maybe I don't have ADHD. Maybe it's just something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's this. Um, and, yeah. and, and then I just tell myself that's all part of having ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like you gaslight yourself, right? <laughs> and, you yeah, know, you and minimize and, things, and all of that internalized stigma, right? Like even yeah. you know the um, so, I I think you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I maybe a lot more people have ADHD than we think, or you know maybe this is just mm-hmm. sort of we're going through a mental health revolution right now and more people are are understanding what it looks like, especially yeah. in adults. But it just seems oh, to yeah. me like. Um, it just seems to me like there are so many of us who are experiencing this, um, Mm -hmm. and are coming Mm -hmm. to this diagnosis and, and I don't know, what do you think? Do you feel like there's been a a proliferation of ADHD diagnoses since the pandemic or even? I think it definitely has, you know, just because when you think about it, like everything, everything that you're used to changes abruptly for a lot of people, you know, so I, you know, admire moms, you know, and women who had to be at home with their kiddos and maybe they didn't have enough space and they had to work from home, like both parents from home with kids. And then you think of the sensory issues, you know, like all of those things combine under the same roof. So there's definitely 
you know, the pandemic has shown a lot of things, whether it's ADHD or not, but it, it was like the pusher of a lot of like, Hey, you haven't been dealing with this. Right. Sort of deal, you know? I know. Sometimes I look around mm-hmm. and I'm like, is anyone not struggling right now? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I've seen a lot of adults who got diagnosed with autism too, like later in life. And yeah. You know, so it's, you know, the neurodivergent community is, there's so many aspects to it, but definitely that was, you know, as adults, it comes with layers and layers of complications, which is why you have to be very thorough, you know, but with ADHD, like I'm, I'm an ADHD certified clinical services provider. Like I actually decided to get that certification because I had a lot of clients who were and you know, it's, you have to look for it as a clinician. It's one of those things that, you know, if it's not like we can rule it out, but it's not a mental issue. This is a brain disorder, you know, mm-hmm. and it, in the world of psychiatry, it's probably the most manageable and treatable of all conditions mm-hmm. because, you know, you can actually see like our brain structures are different. The way that it functions is different. Even if each person's experience of it is a little bit different, you know, but sometimes we have to look for it because it's, it's a chemical imbalance, you know, a lot of like personality disorders because women tend to get diagnosed with personality disorders and those with thinking patterns, you know, it may present that way, but you know, now as a clinician and I see people, I have, it's almost like you have this imaginary checkbox when people talk about their impulsivity, you know, maybe unhealthy relationships, eating disorders, because it's so connected to that, the perfectionism, you know, so I, you know, tend to ask like questions a certain way that will allow me to see. And then if I start noticing, like, you know, has anybody talked to you about ADHD? Like, let's explore that a little bit and, you know, we'll educate and I'll send referrals to, you know, the places if it's something that we want to explore. And definitely I had my clients with ADHD, but also so many that after some months and really like, oh my goodness, like, let's explore this. Mm-hmm. And it was actually ADHD because it's right? like, oh, you know, I can follow like a workout program. Like I always get bored. Like I got a bike, I didn't use it. And it's the hyper fixations that you don't think about. And then you feel like a failure for not sticking to it. Yeah. And, and then, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I hear so many stories of women who have, you know, had all of these issues, have done their research, really mm-hmm. kind of feel like it's got to be ADHD. And then they go to a doctor and the doctor's like, no, I don't think you have ADHD. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. I have heard stories. (laughs) Right. And how crushing that is. And I'm like, so as an, as an expert, do you ever have somebody come to you who thinks they have ADHD and you think, no, they don't? Uh, No, I don't. I'm not very quick to say, no, you don't. Sometimes if I, if I just met them Mm -hmm. and I would just ask them, you know, what makes you think you have ADHD? Right. You know, yeah, let's, that's just, a, let's talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like by the time you get to the point where you're like, holy crap, I think I have ADHD. That seems to mm-hmm. me like that's pretty much an indicator. <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't yeah. think a lot of people misdiagnose themselves and I have no, I'm not basing that on yeah. nothing other than, you know, mm-hmm. the people I've met who it's almost like when the more, you know, about ADHD, the more you can kind of pick somebody out of a crowd and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you have it. And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, I don't mean a lot of factors for sure. Right. And because 
a lot of things can change your brain structure. You know, trauma can change your brain structure. You know, I also work with a lot of people. I'm a certified clinical trauma provider as well. So I see a lot of people with PTSD and, you know, complex trauma can change your brain structure and at the same time impact you. And, you know, you can concentrate. There's people pleasing. There's all of these behaviors that are very consistent, you know, with ADHD, but then there's going to be some determining factors that will allow me to see like, no, this is not it for this person. Mm, And sometimes mm -hmm. it has to do with, you know, the executive function part of maybe working memory or just the task initiation, having no problems, just doing things, Mm -hmm. you know, or the comments. Like, I just don't understand, you know, why this person just do it. If you want to do it, just do it. Yeah. And then they'll be able to do that. So you have to be very, very, thorough you know it's if I do an evaluation I want to explore every aspect you know rule out medical things first that's always my thing as a therapist like evaluate like let's rule out medical conditions because even for women especially if we're dealing with a lot of hormone problems the symptoms are going to present very similarly to ADHD you know so talk to doctors, you know, let's rule out thyroid disorders, you know, anything with the endocrine system can have a lot of, you know, symptoms that will present as psychological or something like that. And so you have to rule those things out and be mindful of it. You can't dismiss someone too quickly. And that's my knowledge as a therapist, of course, but people in the medical field, you know, they don't have the same approach. So they tend to be very quick to dismiss someone like, well, but you're an adult. Like why you did great in school. Why do you think you have ADHD? And it's like, yeah, cause that's what it is. Good grades. you know. Right. <laughs> or, or say to a college student here, take this Ritalin, it'll help you. And <laughs> like not bother to really exactly. talk about what's happening yeah. here. Yeah. And I can say very much about that. Cause I know it's, you know, my country, like back then there's not that much knowledge about mental health, you know, to that extent, obviously we have providers, but especially ADHD, my parents and I had no clue, right? Like, how could we know? And it's genetic. Like in this year, I learned like, it's definitely coming from my dad, you know, and him and I have chat about it. But even my dad was a person who just didn't acknowledge that or believed in that, you know, at the beginning until we were able to actually have a good chat. But you, you just, if you don't know, you can do, you know, and right. And I know, I feel like I spend a lot of time with my own children feeling like, what do I not know? What am I not seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like so much of this, you know, so much of the, the grief of the, an adult diagnosis is looking back at all of those signs that were um, there all along that nobody spotted. Right. Because we didn't know, I mean, I yeah, can't, yeah, I can't yeah. be angry at my parents or my teachers, yeah. but at the same time, like, that, you know, it does feel like, gosh, how would my life have been different? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a very deep grief. It's very different than anything because it's, yeah, you have to go through what could have been, you know, and where would I be right now? But then you shift into the identity crisis. Like, oh my gosh, have I just been doing things because all of this was expected of me and not because it's what I wanted, you know, like that adapting to different people it's like fitting in but then you forget about who you truly are you know since you don't feel like you belong it's you have to act accordingly and that was my thing I felt like such an outsider and my passion was helping people my deep sense of empathy but 
why I wanted to study what I did basically was because I wanted to understand people more. You know, I came to that realization lately. It was like, I wanted to know like why people did the things that they did because some things just didn't make sense to me. Right? Yeah. I so appreciate you willing to have these conversations and share your story and be vulnerable. I really, really enjoyed getting to hear more about you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.